If you have a Bible, if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. If you don't, no worries. Uh, it'll be listed for you in your bulletin and on the screen. As we continue this morning in our sermon series in this Lent season, uh, where we're joining Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is doing only that which Jesus can do. Uh, he's looking at God's law, uh, the Old Testament, and he's looking at some oral tradition, and he's telling the people, the multitude, he says, like, listen, you, you've heard it said. You've heard it said that this is how it is. But I say to you, this is really how you should see things. This is really how it is. And, and Jesus on that Sermon on the Mount was incredible, was opening up God's word. It was making it come alive and exposing to us our hearts like only God can. And may the spirit of God come again and open up our eyes and our hearts to see what God is saying to each one of us this morning. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. Where in the world did that ever come up, right? Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. You know, as a kid, when a promise wasn't enough and when a, when a swear wasn't enough, when you, you really wanted to communicate, now I'm really, this time I really am telling the truth. This is really, you could go to the bank with this. I, I cross my heart. You know, I, I hope to die. I will stick a needle in my eye. Now, did that ever happen? No. Uh, but again, it's a childhood expression that probably many of us have uttered at one time or another to basically say, what I'm about to say or do is really true. You're really saying, now I really mean it. Now I really like double dog dare you not to do it. Those kind of things. But we also had a way of getting out of it, right? Did you ever say, well, I crossed my fingers. Well, I told you I'd do it, but you know, I crossed my fingers. I, I really, uh, I had this way of getting out of breaking it. Um, or this is the one we often use. Oh, I was just kidding. I was just messing with you. You took that seriously? I was just joking around. Well, the older we get, the more sophisticated we get. Can you imagine if uh, an attorney wanted to say this is truthful? Do you cross your heart, swear to God, uh, stick a needle in your eye, you hope to die? I'm like, oh, come on. We, we find more sophisticated ways of saying, well, this is what I really mean. And more clever ways to kind of twist that truth. Well, see, in Jesus' day, the religious folks had an incredible system of trying to say uh, how to keep their word. And they would say things like this, like, well, I swear to heaven wasn't as strong as I swear to the throne of God in heaven. And when you say, I swear to Jerusalem, uh, wasn't as much as I swear towards Jerusalem. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Like my word means this and I, I promise, but there's kind of all these conditions of, do you really mean it? And Jesus was so frustrated. He's like, listen, just may your yes be yes and your no be no. And all this crazy game playing. Can you just speak truth and not try to get around it? Forget all that other stuff. So Jesus is, is showing us like only he can again. It's like, how are you as a man or woman of your word? Do you really do what you say you're going to do? I mean, how, how much value is in your word? And then, and then he's going to kind of run through that open door and say, and by the way, go the extra mile for all those who ask a favor. And by the way, for those you really don't like, those who are your enemies, turn the other cheek and, and love them. Well, Jesus is looking to those who were trying to justify themselves saying, hey, 
I'm doing pretty good. I'm, as I talked about a few weeks ago, like I'm probably seven out of 10 with the law. I'm, I'm really trying to be successful. I'm self-justifying myself and he's exposing our hearts. You see, that's what, that's what God's word does. It exposes our hearts. Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter. Why? Because it's a matter of the heart. Uh, Jesus is getting to the heart because why? The heart is what is the problem. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And that's what he's doing on this sermon series. He's saying, hey, you've heard it said, but, but I say to you. And Jesus, this, this young rabbi, says two absolutely amazing things. He says many things, but just things we can't miss about the law of God as he begins this. He says, hey, listen, I want you to know, I didn't come to abolish the law. He's basically saying, I want you to know that all that stuff you've heard in the past and all those Old Testament stories and everything that Moses and the prophets have given to us, I didn't come to abolish those. I didn't come to like say that that's not important. Now something else is here. I came to fulfill them. All the requirements I came to fulfill. But he also came to say something else astounding. Not only did he come not to abolish, but fulfill. He says, I've really come to interpret. I've come so you know what this really says. The ultimate interpreter of the law. You have heard it said, but let me tell you what this really means. And now you know a little bit of why the religious people were so ticked at him. Because he was basically saying, hey, you've heard Moses talk and you've heard the prophets say, and, and you've heard other people talk about, but I'm the one to listen to. And I'm the one who's going to tell you what they say. That's why they often picked up stones saying, are you kidding me? Who are you, this young rabbi who's going to put yourself over all others? Well, he had to. He's God in flesh. He's the word of God that put on flesh and, and dwelt among us. And who Jesus is dealing with then and who Jesus deals with now when we open up his word are, are those of us, and it's all of us, who are, who are so self-justifying. We want to like prove our existence and, and prove our worth. And by nature, we want to justify ourselves that we're good enough. We deserve God's love. We're good enough. We deserve God's blessing. And if we feel that way, if we're trying to be self-justifying, every time we look at the law of God, what we'll always have a tendency to do is try to lower it. And this is what they were doing, saying, well, well I don't have to keep my word. I'll just say, well, if I didn't promise on the throne of God, it didn't mean as much as if I just promised toward heaven. It's just crazy. We try to lower the bar. But also when you try to self-justify, you try to elevate your own abilities thinking, well, I can do it. You know, tell me what to do and I could do it. But you got to know the law was not given to show us that we could do it. The law was given to show us how holy God is and how amazingly broken we are. The law is given so that we know that we have a problem and the problem is so grave, we can't fix it. If you're, you're here this morning and think maybe you just need a little church, you need a little religion, you need a little Bible, because there's a little deficit in your life that, that maybe you can fill, that's not what Christianity and the Bible is all about. It really points us to a law that breaks our back, that makes us, drives us to our knees and say, oh my goodness, I have a condition I can't change apart from the grace of God and a Savior who will make all things new. See, that's what Jesus does. Jesus drives us to the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done for us. Drives us to the reality that we can't fulfill the law. He did. Draws us to the one that we can't really understand the law. He does. And the beautiful thing about the gospel is that it tells us that this, 
this curse that comes from breaking the law. It's very clear in the Bible. If you, if you break this, there's a curse coming. He bears it. He, he, he absorbs it. That he becomes the curse. And not only that, but the blessings that are promised for keeping the law, he gives to us. So let's just start with that good news of the gospel of what Jesus is doing. Because again, it could sound a lot moralism. It could sound like, you know, hey, do all these things. But he's really showing you all these things to show you your heart and my heart. And to show us how desperately we need a savior. And what he's going to say is three things. He's going to say in this passage, we're picking up three of these. You have heard it said, but I say to you, let your word be true. Let your cheek be turned. And let your enemies be loved. Easy peasy stuff. (laughs) Well, let's look at uh, God's word this morning. We pick up where we left off in this incredible sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 33 through 37 this morning. Or through 47. Pardon me. Hear the word of the Lord. Again, you have heard it said... To those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You've heard it said that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, well, let them have your cloaks as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love just those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We'll pick up that one next week. Let's pray. This is the word of the Lord, by the way. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father God, again, we thank you for your son and this sermon that he preached, where he was able to take that which was said in the law and that which was said of oral tradition and bring clarity to it, not allowing us to lower the bar of your, your law and not allow us, us to elevate our own abilities, but driving us. This is what the purpose is, right back to Jesus. 
back to Jesus so that we can find life and hope. Father, would you come and would you join us by the power of your spirit? Would you be pleased to do that which only you could do? Please speak through a broken sinner like me. Father, would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us minds to understand your word? Would you give us hearts to embrace your truth? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner worthy of your name? Father, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this good news of the gospel, use those things to to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along, there's an outline for you in your bulletin. Again, Jesus is going to say, but I say to you, And the first part is, let your word be true. Don't try to get around it. Uh, Don't try to play games. Don't try to say, I was just joking. I didn't really mean it. I didn't cross my heart and hope to die or stick a needle in my eye. He's saying, listen, you're reflecting me. You're made in my image. And what you say, be a man or a woman of integrity and let your word be true. I love what Psalm 15, 4 says. It says, when you make an oath, when you make a commitment, keep it even when it hurts. Even when it's, it's going to be difficult, even when it, it proves to be against your advantage, even when it might expose you or even when it's going to cost you more than you thought, be men and women of your word. Be basically saying, don't play games with uh, your severity of what you really mean to be true. Simply, can your yes be yes and your no be no? Be men and women of integrity. And he says, anything else comes from evil. It makes me think, you know, well, what evil? I mean, what is he talking about? That's a pretty strong word when he says anything other than a yes or no is coming from evil. And for me, I examine that and says, you know, when I kind of squirt or skirt around yes and no is often to try to keep from being exposed. You see, it's easier for me to break my word than expose my brokenness. It's easier for me to, to break my word or, or fudge what I really mean than to be seen as something less than I want you to be seen. When I think about this yes and no, uh, where, where I wrestle with this mostly is being a people pleaser. When something, someone asks something from me or for me, I want more than anything to be liked. <laughs> and to, that, that is uh, to be liked is usually saying, hey, Jeff, can you do this? And I want to say yes. Why? Because I want you to like me. Or you don't like this, do you? No, because I, I want to be with you. And oftentimes, even I could kind of sell it like, you know, I don't want you to feel uncomfortable and I don't want you to be embarrassed. So, so I'll just say what you want to hear or, or say what is convenient at the time. Have you done that? Have you ever seen yes or no? Yeah. Hey man, you going to come over and hang out? Are you going to do this? Are you going to do that? And, oh yeah, oh yeah. And you walk away. I have no intention of doing that. I mean, there's no way. I mean, it's amazing how, how quickly uh, I'm able to agree with something that really deep down, I know the truth and I'm just playing lip service. And Jesus is exposing that saying, listen, it's, it should be men and women of integrity and just trust me enough that, that your identity should be so in me that you're not afraid of others, that, 
That because you know you're loved and you're free in the gospel, that you, you know that, that you don't have to be worried about seeing, being seen as broken because, by the way, you are, but you're loved. You don't have to be seen in a bad light because, by the way, if they knew the truth about you, they'd know what a mess you are, but you're loved. So simply because of the reality of me, let your yes be yes and your no be no. And again, I, I think that that's some good truth for all of us to hear. But we got to specifically say, what was Jesus dealing with? He was dealing with people who thought they could justify themselves. He was dealing with people who said that my word is good enough. And the way I have this system of kind of getting myself off the hook. They didn't want to see that they were really sinful. He said, just make your yes, yes, and your no, no. How is it with you? Do you are you a man or woman of your word? Do you do what you say you're going to do? Man, let's get off of that one because that one's hitting me too close at home, okay? Second one's no easier. But I say to you, let your cheek be turned. I mean, honestly, in the flesh, is this not something kind of repugnant? I mean, isn't there, we have this justice meter. Now, our justice meter is really works really well when someone else is like, we feel unjust to ourselves, right? I mean, it's not so great with other people, but when man, you mess with us, when you mess with our own stuff, our own kids, our own jobs, our own money, when you mess with us, that, that get even mentality just rears its head. It, it, it just seems such a natural reaction when you're wrong, when you are wronged, get even. Anything else is not being that strong. And they were saying, well, you know, it says in the Old Testament, you know, trying to make things right, that there was like an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. So isn't it our responsible to, to make things right? Don't we take justice into our hands? Don't we settle the matter ourselves? And Jesus has the audacity to say, by the way, turn the other cheek. Look for someone else to bring justice. Turn the other cheek. And he's, he's basically saying, which is the, one of the hardest things I think for us to hear. Will you hold your honor loosely? It seems like when it comes to our own self, our own honor, man, you just don't want to mess with it. But he's saying, hold your honor loosely. Be defined by the gospel. Let another defend you. Turn the cheek. And then he's going to talk about, well, give up your cloak. If someone wants your, your tunic, I mean, give them the whole outfit. And give them, give them more than what they want. I mean, give up your cloak, cloak. He's basically saying, hold your stuff loosely. I mean, it's basically, you know, we find so much identity in what we possess. We find so much security in what we possess. And, and we sometimes are so hoarding of our stuff. And he's basically saying, your stuff can own you. I own you. Your stuff can be your identity. I want to be your identity. If someone wants your stuff, hold it loosely and be an incredible blessing. And then he says, if someone's going to ask you to go a mile, go the extra mile. You know what he's asking you to hold loosely here? Hold your schedule loosely. Let me just hit pause and say, how rigid is your schedule? I mean, how, how much room is there for interruptions in your schedule? I mean, how much room is there for, for human interaction? What, what is more important? 
Dealing with an interruption or dealing with your schedule. This, this hits home, doesn't it? I and mean, this is kind of reality. It's like, you know, you got your day plan. You got, you know, what you want to do. And all of a sudden, an interruption comes your way. Oh, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this need. I don't have time for this person. And they're, they're getting in the way. And here's what you're doing. You're taking your, my schedule, and you're elevating it over the needs of an image bearer of God. And he's like, man, we, we just... Hold your schedule loosely. If I'm going to send you a divine appointment, if there's something that wasn't there, if someone asks you to go a mile, why don't you even go beyond that? Why don't you double it? Why don't you double it and go the extra mile? So what I think he's doing here is he's kind of, Paul will pick up on this uh, in Philippians chapter two. And Philippians chapter two, verses in three through five, and it goes on to nine. It's pretty incredible. But it's basically going to say this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. I can't believe he used the word nothing. He says, well, do nothing out of selfishness or selfish ambition or vain conceit just about me. But in humility, I mean, being real, being in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Are you kidding me? I mean, consider their, their agenda, their needs. I mean, consider others better than themselves. It goes, goes on to say, now, don't only look out for your own interests. Of course you do. But look out for the interests of others. If you're just living for you, it's just so shallow. It's so selfish. And then he throws in the kicker. And each of us should have the attitude of Christ Jesus. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he, he would empty himself. And he would even take on the form of a servant in man. And he would serve us. You see, he's pointing us to Jesus in this. He's pointing us to himself. He's basically saying, you know, these things like going the extra mile, turning the cheek, uh, uh, loving those who are hard to love. He's pointing to himself. And he's basically saying that Paul's summarizing this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. I mean, this, this should drive us all and buckle all of our knees. Because we all should look at ourselves and say, seriously, what, what don't we do out of selfish ambition or vain conceit? When do we consider others better than ourselves or their needs more important than our own? Which one of us could say that, yeah, I have the attitude of Christ Jesus. I mean, I know it's the call for us to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. But it should drive us to Christ. Give to the one who asks. This is one of the hardest things, isn't it? I mean, usually when you, someone asks you for something, you want your, your, your worthy meter starts coming alive. Are they worthy? Are they worthy? Are they worthy? Is this cause a good cause? Is this something I should give to? What will it really cost me? My wife, Katie, was running errands this week, and she was looking for a specific, uh, I, I think it was a specific item she could only get at a Whole Foods store. And, and so she got her on the other side of town, and she wound up going to a, a Publix that she doesn't usually go to. So already uh, in kind of unfamiliar territory. And you probably know that feeling sometimes. Not You probably have your routine, right? You probably have your places you go. You know how to go there. You probably know who you're going to be checking out with. You know the folks. And all of a sudden, you're, you're, in, you're in unfamiliar territory. So uh, she navigates that. She gets to the parking lot. And she's loading her groceries. She hears a woman cry out, say, excuse me, ma'am. Excuse me, ma'am. Can you please help me? I hit pause and say, what goes to your mind? 
It's almost like, do I, do I turn around? Do I, do I pretend I don't hear her? I mean, what, what do you do? Can I get out of this situation? Excuse me, can you help me? She had just left women's ministry, which I find beautifully timed with God's wonderful plan, where they were talking about the question, what if you led with love instead of judgment? What if you led, your lo- what if you led with love instead of judgment? Now, now, this is not a message that Katie needs to hear as much as I need to hear, but what was that the reality? And she turned around trying to lead with love without judgment. And here comes a disheveled woman, not particularly clean carrying a very big bag and a couple of dollars crumpled up in her hand saying, I have a doctor's appointment. I got to get to, I got to get to a doctor's appointment in the bus. I just can't get there in time. And I don't even tell me what time it is. Cause I really think I'm already late. Will you please drive me to the doctor's appointment? I just can't make the bus. I mean, it's probably easier to give her money than put her in the car, right? I mean, it's probably easier to say, I mean, can I get you an Uber? I mean, can I uh, get you another ride? But they're confronted with it. So Katie praying, oh God, protect me. You know, she invites her in. She's got a interesting, <laughs> you think that a pastor's wife always carries a Bible in her seat next to her. Uh, she's coming right back from women's ministry. So she's got to remove the Bible, let the lady in the front seat. And he's like, oh, I, I believe in God too. And she reached into her big bag to show some things. And Katie's like, oh my gosh, what she could pull out of the bag. And as she does, she tells a story of addiction and pain. And how she's trying to overcome some things. And they get to the doctor's office. And Katie says, can I pray for you, Lisa? And Lisa had a look in her eye like, are you kidding me? You're going to pray for me? And she reached out her hands for Katie to take her hands. And another pause moment. My gosh, when's the last time you washed those? calloused, dirty hands that Katie would grasp and pray and pray for wisdom for the doctors and protection for Lisa and peace and power over addictions. And she said, amen. She looked up and there's just tears streaming down Lisa's face. Be shown dignity and love in Jesus' name to be reminded that she is worthy of, of care and attention. And Katie, overwhelmingly, like, you know that we are when we're in those moments when we finally obey, we hear the Holy Spirit, we respond as he asks. And, and she knows again what Matthew 25 says when Jesus says, what you've done for the least of these, what you've done for the leases of the world who say to you in the middle of your schedule, excuse me, can you help me? You've done for me. And the joy that is there. An incredible reminder of go the extra mile. But I say to you, he says, let your enemy be loved. I listened to a sermon this week uh, on this text and the pastor asked a great question. He said, has anybody here ever prayed a prayer of repentance because you haven't loved your enemy? Has anybody here even like, even gotten close to saying, God, will you forgive me? Because I'm just not loving my enemies the way as I should. We're like, no way. I mean, it's not even on the horizon, right? I mean, we're not, 
Because really, because we feel like there's something that burns inside of us to those who have wronged us and those that we might consider enemies. I mean, it's like we can hold on to it like we're holding on to a dear friend and, and somehow loathing them is something that energizes us. And somehow just letting that grow is something that just feels good. And Jesus throws that all upside down and says, by the way, you're going to be praying for him, caring for him, and love your enemies. So has anyone here, and, and if, don't raise your hand because I'd be embarrassing, but I would love to know, has anybody really ever repented for saying, God, forgive me for not loving my enemies enough? And so here, here's typical Jesus. I mean, showing him thinking, you think you're okay by just loving those who are lovable, but that's not enough. You really have to love the unlovables, those who aren't easy to love. The religious leaders in the gospel came up to, to Jesus and they were trying to trick him and they asked him a question, trying to expose him. They weren't caring for him. They said, you know, um, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus knocks it out of the park. He's like, well, listen, guys, the greatest commandment, the whole Bible can be summarized this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that sums it all up. It all hinges right there. If you're not about love, you don't get this whole gig. And so then it says, wanting to justify themselves, self-justifying is what we do. The question is asked, well, who's my neighbor? You know, you know what's really being asked there? It's very interesting. What's being asked there is this. Well, will you point out the ones I have to love? Will you tell me this, the ones I have to love? Don't make sure. I, I don't want to waste time in those that aren't lovable. And Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. You probably know it if you know the Bible. That's the whole setup. And he's basically saying, you, you love a certain man that's not even distinguishable. You love the one in need. And by the way, there's Samaritans and Jews hate Samaritans. You love your enemies. That is your neighbor. It's a call to Republicans to love Democrats. It's a call for those who love Fox News to love those who watch CNN. It's, it's a call to love your enemies, those who are Muslim and those who are, are different. It's called to love those who look different than you and are a different socioeconomic bracket. It's a call to love those when you go into neighborhoods and you're not feeling comfortable. It's a call to love those that aren't like you. That's a call to love your enemies. It really begins with pray for them. It says it in the script right here in this text. Pray for your enemy's well-being. Who is your enemy? Now, we all could say, well, it's ISIS. It's bad people. It's evil. But specifically for you, I mean, who is it in your life that's estranged, that, that there's something in that darkness of your heart that just gets fuel for hating? Have you prayed for them? It's amazing what prayer will do. When you start praying for your enemies, it really does change perspective. I mean, when you ask God to start blessing those that you want to just call down curses on, pray for your enemies, for their well-being, provide for your enemies. Is there anything I could do? I mean, those who, again, you're estranged from, see what it will feel like when you offer something that really does cost you something. And probably the hardest thing, forgive your enemies. Forgive them. And scripture is going to be pretty clear. We, we got to do that even before they ask. You're still going to hurt. And it's not like you forgive and forget. You're still going to remember. That's crazy. And there may be a fractured relationship that will never be mended. 
But scripture in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who forgive, have sinned against us. Forgive. It's a tall, tall challenge, isn't it? Here's what Jesus is doing. This is not a moral lesson. This is a gospel lesson. And only when you know the power of the gospel will you able to love your enemies. Only when you know the power of the gospel that we, listen, that we by nature, according to God's word, are children of wrath. We by God's nature are enemies of God. What do you think Jesus is doing in this text? He's showing us himself. The one whose word is true. The one whose cheek was turned. The one who would carry his cross an extra mile. The one who would lay his life down for those who were crucifying him. The one who would say, Father, forgive these Roman soldiers that are driving nails into my hands and feet because they know not what they do. And you don't understand the story until you see yourself in the story that we are the ones who are enemies of God that was loved by God. We are the ones that he went the extra mile carrying a cross for. We are the ones that he was spat upon for. We are the ones that his cheek was turned for. We are the ones that were loved this way. And we are the ones like Lisa who reach out dirty, calloused hands to a savior with nail prints in them. And he loves us and holds us and prays for us. When we see ourselves rightly and we see Jesus rightly, we know what this text is calling us to do. You can't love your neighbor as yourself until you've been loved by Christ and you realize who you are apart from him. You see, Jesus is pointing us to the glorious gospel. That's what he's doing. He's, he's not giving us a, a higher bar of moralism. He's saying, you've heard it said, but I say to you, keep your word even when it hurts. May your word be true. May your cheek be turned May your enemies be loved because that's what I do for you. And I will never let you go. First John 3.16 says this, By this we know love that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for each other. We don't do it because so we're loved. We do it because we're loved. That's the gospel. We don't respond trying to earn anything. We respond because we received everything in Christ Jesus, the gospel of Jesus Christ that sets us free. Let us pray. Father God, what an incredible, glorious, beautiful son, your only begotten son, standing on that mount, delivering these words And revealing to us not a new law that we have, a new bar that we have to try to fulfill. But to show us that he and he alone is the only one who could fulfill it. And to show us that he would become the curses of a broken law so that we could receive the blessings of a fulfilled law. 
God, we are so self-righteous and we are so high on ourselves that we hear stories of those in need and we don't put ourselves rightly right there too. And the only way we get the gospel is if we get the reality that you demonstrated a love for us, Father, that while we were still sinners, while we were enmity to you, you would send Jesus to speak for us and to turn his cheek for us, to be spat on by us and for us, to be crucified so that we could be free. I thank you, Lord, that this is not a call to be more moral people. This is a call to be thankful people. Thankful for the life-changing love that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. We pray this in his powerful name. Amen.